Hello, and welcome to the Keep It Local Maine podcast, where we tell the stories of local business owners, artists, and entrepreneurs, and learn more about what they do, who and what inspires them, their challenges, successes, and more. My name is Todd Regalinski. And I am Kimberly Regalinski. And we are the publishers of Keep It Local Maine, a magazine that helps to showcase local businesses to the people in and around their communities. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly podcast that you can subscribe to on most streaming services such as Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and others. You can learn more about us at keepitlocalmaine.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube through the links in the show notes. In this episode, we'll be talking with Maine writer Gary Rainford. Gary lives on Swans Island year-round and is the author of three poetry collections, Adrift, Salty Liquor, and Liner Notes. Gary's poems, shaped by tides, saltwater, music, and experience, are published in a wide range of literary magazines, university journals, and newspapers. His most recent book, Adrift, is a love story, and his poems tell the story of his mother's Alzheimer's disease. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Weather is getting warmer and it's project planning season, which means you should call Maine Commercial Contracting, your locally owned choice for residential and commercial services in southern Maine. They'll be there for that new driveway, walkway, or excavation for your home and for your business with parking lot paving, road milling, heavy hauling, and competitive commercial pricing. So when you need your project done right and on your timeline, get a hold of the company with the appetite for excellence and the skills to see it through. Call Maine Commercial Contracting at 207-391-0540 for a free estimate or find them online at maincommercialcontracting.com. Welcome to the show, Gary. We are so glad to have you here today. Yes, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Appreciate it. Tell us, um, you your newest book is called Adrift. Can you tell us about the unique collection of poems and why it's so special to you? Absolutely. Thank you. So Adrift is a collection of poems that tell the story of my mom's dementia and Alzheimer's disease. In 2017, I became my mom's power of attorney, her legal guardian, and her caretaker. These narrative poems cover her last four years from being semi-independent and whole, whole person to being bedridden and completely lost, completely adrift, honestly. And although these poems are about my mom's decline... Although she's the main character and protagonist in every poem, as a son, as her son, I am completely adrift navigating her care and managing a quality of life for her that I believe she would have created for herself if she could. So I really kind of see adrift as a support group in poetry form. Mm. Yeah, so can you, would you be able to share from your collection just one of the poems that just really is special to you? Absolutely. This is later in my mom's decline, and there were many days when I would care for my mom, and I I just, I, I wish I didn't have to, but didn't necessarily feel like there was much of a choice because she needed me. So this piece is called All We Need Is Love. And by the way, Bobby is my mom. I refer to her as Bobby throughout the collection. And Bobby is how her friends identified with her when she was in high school in the 50s. Uh, My mom's name is Barbara. Mm -hmm. And when I was packing up her house down in Florida, I came across her high school yearbook and, and discovered this new person I'd never knew before, and it was Bobby. So all we want is love. You bring me light, says Bobby. As I guide 
a forkful of shredded egg sandwich to her lips. There is a familiar focus in her eyes and a clarity to her words, but neither lasts more than a wink. I do not want to watch my mom dying today, but we do not get to cherry pick when life needs or does not need us most. Wow. That's right. amazing. This was this whole this whole journey was a learning experience for me. And, and you know, mm. it was a matter of putting together the emotional and the intellectual part of my brain. I knew certain mm. things, but they just did not make sense until I felt them kind of like feeling this with my mom. You know, she she needed me and it was just the bottom line. Mm. That was beautiful. Yeah. That is absolutely beautiful. I'm a little choked up right now. That is just absolutely beautiful. And I think it's important, you know, June being Brain Awareness Month, it was, you know, we were excited to have you on here and be able to speak to this perspective um, of, of living, you know, with right. someone with dementia. Um, yeah. So thank you for that. And thank you for sharing. Oh, my goodness. Um, thank you. Yes. Beautiful poem. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so when did you first start writing poetry? Yeah, um, I love this question because I know exactly when it started. And so it was the summer of sixth grade. And I do, I totally remember it like it was yesterday. And I'm 53, so that's a long time ago. I was hospitalized for severe asthma. And I remember it was a really, really hot, humid summer down on Long Island, New York, where I was growing up. And as a kid, I loved to draw pictures and cartoons, but in the hospital, I couldn't draw lying in the hospital bed hooked up to the machines that were helping me breathe. So I would lie there and draw pictures in my head using words. And when I left the hospital, drawing became words on paper, which became poems. And I didn't know that these were poems until much later on in high school, in college, when I had a chance to really reflect on what I was doing with language in my notebooks uh, at that time and realized that, wow, I'm, I'm writing poetry. Yeah, it is interesting how you can start writing something but not necessarily know what it is <laughs> yeah. right away, you know? Yeah, it's really, it's, uh, I think uh, experience plays such a, a large role, I think. And I didn't have experience with poetry or, or literature or reading. I don't think we had any books at my house other than dictionaries and encyclopedias. We, we weren't, we weren't a family of readers. And so it just wasn't part of our culture as a family. Yet words and language found me, or, or I found words and language as a way to um, uh, express and to feel and to find a real good place to be. Mm. Yeah, Can that you... seems to that seems to be kind of a common sentiment with a lot of writers is that the words and 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 kind of writing found them. It wasn't so much like they were seeking it out. There's a quote from a uh, Tom Waits, and it's, it's relating to music, but he talks about how, uh, in reference to Keith Richards. And he says, it's mm -hmm. one thing to, to like music, he says, but it's another thing for music to like you. And right. He says, and that's what Keith kind of is like music just likes him. It goes yeah. to him. And I think about that with with authors and writers as far as like words just go to them. Words like yep. them. So they it seeks them out rather than the, the opposite. You know, send me on a Tom Waits tangent. And there's a song <laughs> called That Feel. 
And I always identified with that sense of that feel, you know, when you're, you're at the, at the shoreline or you're at the top of a mountain, or you're looking in the eyes of someone who you care about deeply, there's just, it's not necessarily a phrase or one word or a combination of words. It's just that feel that you just know it's perfect and it, it doesn't need to be anything more than that feel. And, and that's always how I felt about mm-hmm. language and, and writing it's just it, it's one of those parts that clicks right into gear for me without any uh, without any out any effort. That's great. So you said something a little just a little while ago, and it just kind of stuck with me. You said something along the lines of drawing is our drawing is basically words on paper. Is that what you said? Yes. So I, when I was in the hospital as a kid, I, 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 I identified with drawing pictures and, and I, I didn't have, I couldn't draw those lines anymore because I couldn't sit up, but I, I had words mm-hmm. to paint those pictures in my head, those stories that I used to try to get on paper um, as a, as a visual. And so those words just kind of took the place of lines and color. Mm, that's great. So can you tell us about your previous books? Cause you, you've written more than one book. Can you tell us a little bit about those? So my first book was published in 2014 by North country press, and that was called salty liquor. And that's a collection of poems about finding home home is really a a theme throughout that short collection uh it's also about finding my place on swans island i live on swans island maine which is six miles off the um, mainland and so we're a coastal community but unique in that we are cut off in a sense from the rest of maine and 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 nature also plays a, a large role because of our remote and uh, the, we're a very small community. We're, we only have about three, 350 year-round residents. And fatherhood plays a large role in that as well. I teach from home online. And so after my daughter was born, she's 15 now, but I, because I, I have a flexible work I was able to stay home and take care of her for the first five years before she went to kindergarten. And so we amassed lots of stories together. And so Swan's Island Home and, and Fatherhood are, are, the, are the themes of this particular collection. And then in 2017, I, I wrote a collection of poems called Liner Notes. And this is a collection of 64 ekphrastic poems that describe 64 musicians making music as art. And for, you know, ekphrastic, some people know that word and some people don't know what an ekphrastic poem is. But more or less, an ekphrastic poem is just a, is a, it's an ancient way of describing works of art and it was a delight to find 64 live performances where i could describe what the artist was doing and i use lyrics from that particular show that particular song and i tried to create a new piece from those, uh, from that experience. And so this collection covers such a diverse range of musicians from June Carter Cash, Johnny Cash, Blondie, Nina Simone, Ella Fitzgerald, Fiona Apple, Mm -hmm. Prince, 
Tony Bennett, Lemmy from Motorhead. I mean, there's just this range. And it was, I, I kind of feel like it was just play. I had such a delightful time uh, enjoying music and playing with language and finding a way to bring story to these, to these performances. That's great because you just you just mentioned two of our musical binkies. Uh, Kim is a, a very big Nina Simone fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for whatever reason, in the last couple of years, I've become fascinated by Lemmy from Motorhead. Yes. I don't know why yes. because I've I've never been a huge fan of like going out and buying every Motorhead album or anything. But right. I've just become kind of fascinated by him as a character and as a person and just wild contradiction of a of a human being that you know yeah. kind of defied all logic by making it as far as he did. Quite honestly. Yes. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's and it's also amazing because I love the fact that you called it liner notes because mm-hmm. right. I am I'm I like vinyl quite a bit and but yeah. liner notes are a thing that doesn't it's not a phrase that a lot of people would know now well actually maybe because vinyl is making a comeback but it's not a digital thing you know no I generally have to um if you're if you're if you're forty and under I generally have to describe and explain what liner notes are yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I remember as a kid, I would love when I heard a new album was coming out because this was my, and so I think I, I learned poetry as well, or language from liner notes, not from poets, but from musicians, because I would get those mm-hmm. liner notes, I'd open them up and I would, you know, I'd, I'd listen to the music and I would be enthralled by something and I'd go diving into the language of the lyric and the song and then you know i pink floyd and rush would have these just elaborate liner notes where there were side notes on the margins of the lyrics and there was just some there was a story being told you know beyond just the songs on the album and i i loved mm. that concept yeah and i i also love how it's it it kind of shows you a little behind the scenes too because unlike when you get music digitally now you would be able to see oh and here are the additional musicians who are on this this track and and here's the producer and here's the person who mixed it and here's where it was recorded and you can follow those names and they would start becoming familiar as you're looking through them right yeah it was a lot of fun yeah okay before we before we end up hijacking the entire podcast and talking about music let's get back to poetry for a moment and (laughs) writing uh so every writer kind of has their own their own method their own process and all that what does your writing process look like so my writing process is really simple i've always approached it like it's a job so i wake up monday through friday at 4 a.m in the winter months out on maine i actually like to get up 3 30 quarter to four, three forty-five, because I like that darkness of the morning. I make coffee. I go up to my office. Again, if it's winter, I get coffee and I start the wood stove. I fire up my laptop and I write for two, two and a half hours. And then I go about the rest of my day, but the rest of my day in my head, I'm figuring out where I'm heading the next morning when I sit back at my laptop. And it's been like that for decades. It's I, I feel that it's important to not wait for inspiration, that you plant yourself at a space and time that is a pattern, that's a habit. And um, when inspiration hits, you are prepared for it. You're not in the middle of something else that you hope to remember later on and go back to it. So that's, that's my way. 
So when you're when you're in that writing space, is that all new work, or do you have a certain portion of time that you you might go back and and edit and revise, or is it just kind of whatever you happen to have to do? So it's 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 a combination of both of those. So I I could use this morning as an example. I'm working on a long piece right now called the sand cakes of oyster cove and i'm finishing up the last the uh, last section and that was my intent and i knew i'd be sitting down this morning to work on that but last night while i was making supper my daughter said something as she peeled the beats the earphone beats off her ear and i wrote it down in my phone knowing that i would sit down at the computer this morning and start by beginning that short poem that seemed to uh i always i always kind of equate it with you know when you're walking in a field and those those burrs kind of get stuck on your pants and you you kind of like mm. uh uh, you 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 look down and there's this little this like a feathery burr that kind of you pick off your pants and that's how poems often find me is this burr kind of just lands on me and sticks in me and I know that somewhere in that burr is a poem and so talking with my daughter I wrote down her dialogue because I knew that there was a poem there and so that was you know I got that out in a file this morning, um, worked on that for maybe 30, 40 minutes. And then I just, I toggled over to the other piece that I'm working on and continued working on that. And my writing, I would say 90% of my writing is editing. So I, I, I'm re I've gotten really good at just letting consciously and unconscious thoughts just flow from my head through my torso, down my arms, into my fingertips, into my computer. And, you know, then I'm constantly going back to the beginning and just, you know, it's just evolving and reworking and and, and being what it needs to become until it's finished. Hmm. Until it has that feel, yes. that Tom Waits feel. Yeah. So I want to ask, you know, how do you think living in Maine shaped you as a writer and how has it shaped you in your shaped you in your poetry. So, I've always loved beautiful places, and I knew as a boy that I wanted to be as close to beautiful places as possible. I grew up on Long Island, very suburban, very postage stamp lot subdivision type of environment. My stepfather would take me up north to the Adirondacks and I fell in love with beautiful places. And Swans Island is a beautiful place. And there's no doubt that fog, sea salt, seaweed, gusts of wind, tides rising, tides receding, tall grasses, the wildflowers, in fact, right outside my window right now, and a stillness that's often peaceful and yet sometimes dreadful are all elements that shape my writing, especially my poems. So I think all those elements really find their way into my, into my words. Living here, uh, I really believe it grounds me and it reinforces this like this deepness, this something really deep inside me that I don't even look to define anymore. And it just it, it just reminds me that I'm exactly where I need to be or where I should be. And that confidence, that feeling of belonging really allows me to write freely. That's great. That's, that's such a great description of both of Maine, but both as what a place can do for you. 
Right. You know, I, I feel so I've been out here for going on 22 years and I feel, you know, it was a, it was a it was a big decision packing up of a full time tenure track job in New York and becoming an adjunct professor and, and hoping that that would be enough. And coming out to Swans Island, you know, even drag myself out even re- more remote than just a coastal town. But I, I, I did land someplace that fits just right. And I feel like I'm blessed or that I did something really right 20 years ago because we meet so many people who come to Swans Island and they're, they're every, you know, they're 20 years old or they're 70 years old and they're still searching, hoping to find that one place where they stop looking for a, somewhere else to be. And, and I love that I am where I want to be. It takes a lot of pressure mm. off, off my shoulders. All right. So we're going to put you on the spot a little bit here okay. with this question. Yeah. Who are your top three favorite poets? Okay. Um, <laughs> right at the top, definitely Mary Oliver. And I came to Mary Oliver late in life, but she writes about nature, her love of nature, but not about the human condition necessarily. And there's a clarity in her writing that I, I definitely put her right at the top. Um, number two would be Charles Bukowski. Um, he writes with, a, again, he writes with a clarity and a rawness that uh, is accessible to everyone. I, as I get older, I, I don't always agree with what or how Bukowski or what Bukowski had to say, but I, I definitely value um, how he says what he does say because there's it's not easy to write with a clarity. And then Robinson Jeffers, there's a rhythm and a prosody that is definitely shaped by the power of the Pacific Ocean. He was a, a California poet. And so Mary Oliver, Charles Bukowski, Robinson Jeffers. Those would be my first three. That's a pretty good top three. Yeah, yeah. that's great. So let me ask you this, Gary. Being a, a poet and a writer, what advice would you give to someone that's that's aspiring to become a writer or a poet? <laughs> right. Hmm. I think my advice might change depending on the, the more I know about somebody might change how I answer that question. But just sort of a blanket mm-hmm. sort of any aspiring writer, I'd say um, don't think don't dream, don't brag about being a writer, just sit down and write, write, write. I really believe that as as long as you're writing, you'll never have a good reason to doubt yourself or your intentions as a writer and language will, 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 will guide your way or find a way. It's real easy to talk yourself out of writing. Yeah. I, I think I remember uh, Stephen King talked about that a little bit as far as just, you know, don't, don't talk about what you're writing until it's finished. Don't, don't show right. it to anybody. Just let the writing be the thing that you're focused on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think that's important. I think that's important. I think you can talk yourself out of um, a story or a poem um, or a novel, and it's important to uh, get your stamp on it first, and then and then and then there's a time and a place for the, those discussions later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So one of the questions that we always like to ask in in these podcasts is. Uh, and because there's a multitude of answers and ways to answer this, and each is specific and none are really right or wrong. It's all, it depends on the person. But how would you say that you define success, uh, either personally, professionally, or both? So I grew up in a working class household. I, I kind of mentioned that earlier. And being that it was a working class household, at least based on my experience, my mom and my stepfather emphasized 
making money. And so making money as much as possible was the value I was really taught thinking about success and my future. However, I, I truly believe that success has very little to do with earning money. And I think that success for me is about spending time, um, how I spend my time. Mm-hmm. Time is, is very limited. And taking care of my mom, who I love this term, was pleasantly demented. Her brain doctor used that term on me. And I, I just I thought that was a, a really nice way of describing someone with dementia or Alzheimer's. And um, taking care of her really really brings home for me how our lifetime is so limited and we simply don't know how much time we have. So success is spending my time in ways that make me a better person, a kinder person, a person who acts with joy and intention. Writing regularly really helps me be that person, not publishing necessarily, just getting words from inside of me onto the page. It's that simple, but it's not that simple. So success is discovering who you are, cultivating that truth. However, it may twist and evolve as, you know, each waking day changes those, those, those elements. Wow. That's beautiful. It really is beautiful. So we are inspiration junkies. um, And this is another question that we really always like to ask. But, you know, who or what inspires you? I have to say the the, the most obvious answer to that question, and I'm looking right out my window. I don't have a desk. I just have this sort of table that sits in front of my window that looks out uh, onto Swan's Island. And um, nature really inspires me. Um, And for instance, fog Today on the island is just locked in fog, and I'm waiting for rain to come. It's supposed to come in a few hours. So it's a sea mist fog, in fact, that, that it's, and it's filled with the smell of ocean and low tide and the purple lilacs across the road. And my front door is open, so my neighbor has these purple lilacs that are just blowing into the house. And so whether it's fog or sunrise or a sunset, nature and its wildness really gives me a sense of hope it takes me out of myself and it really, really helps me remember that I'm not the center of the universe. And, that, and that's key mm. for me. It's key for me. I often feel so much better doing things for other people. And, and then at the end of the day, I feel good as a result. And, and I tend as a, as a writer, I can be very, very, um, I can get lost in myself, which is not a really good thing for me. So it's really important to to help my neighbors. In fact, the other day I was out mowing my neighbor's neighbor's yard because it was getting long, and and uh, they they've been going off island for doctor's appointments like crazy because he just had uh, some eye surgery, and it just felt so good to be able to spend a few hours uh, helping out people that I really care about, and and uh, you know it took away mm. from what I needed to do at my house, but that wasn't as important as it was knowing that I was, I was really making an impact for them. Well, and your writing and and sharing of poetry can be that gift that you're giving to other people as well, that you're sharing that with them and that you're doing that, you know, for yourself, but also you're doing it for other people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I, I, I learned about that later on. In fact, I, it wasn't until my late 20s that I really had a sense of audience and that I was doing something not just for myself, that there were that there were other people involved in this as well. And, and my, my poetry had a different shape once I realized that I was writing for more than just my own well-being or my own personal development or, or you know, I, I, I used to think or say that I was writing poems as, you know, self-therapy. 
therapy. Uh, but when I realized that it was more than just this uh, personal pursuit, that there was an audience, potential audience involved, that it definitely, uh, it shifted my, it shifted an emphasis uh, or my eye or my sensibility about what a poem is for me. Yeah. Well, Gary, thank you so much for being yes. on the podcast with us. We, we appreciate you taking time out of your day. And uh, I'll make sure that I have a link to your website, uh, GaryRanford.com, mm-hmm. so that everybody can go and pick up a copy of your book uh, through the links that are right there on the front page. You can't miss it. And, uh, and also, I'll make sure that uh, I have a link to your Instagram page as well. And uh, just once again, thank you for sharing uh, your poetry with people. And thank you for sharing with us and our listeners today. Thank you very much. I truly appreciate this opportunity and and time to talk with you folks. It was great. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor and encourage you to check them out through the link in the show notes. And thank you again for listening. 